In this episode of the Smart Community Podcast, I had a brilliant conversation with Larissa Rose, the Managing Director for the Queensland Renewable Fuels Association, or QRFA. We discussed Larissa's background as an environmental consultant, her master's degree in renewable fuels and advanced biofuels, and how this sparked her interest in the smart community space. Larissa tells us about the importance of future-proofing a city and how this relates to the smart city concept, as well as what biofuels actually are and some of the examples of different types of low-carbon fuels. We talk about what's happening in Australia regarding transitions to global regulatory pressure to reduce emissions and the often overlooked health aspects of creating smart cities and smart communities. Larissa makes a point about air quality that might make you rethink your morning jog through the city streets. We then explore how low-carbon fuels, electric vehicles and hydrogen-powered vehicles all fit together and specifically how they play their part in Australia. Larissa tells us about her trip to San Francisco for the Global Climate Action Summit and how the QRFA fosters collaboration from a global to a domestic level. This includes their paddock to parliament approach, which helps integrate across the different levels of government and different industries and disciplines. We finish our conversation discussing the emerging trend of fuel security in Australia and the double benefit of progressive action on decarbonizing the transport sector. This is a slightly longer episode than usual, but as always, I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. Welcome to the smart community, smart regions, smart towns and smart cities. It's where we live, work and play with smart communities. The future starts today. Big data, smart mobility, emerging trends galore. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for. Just before we get into the episode, I wanted to let you know that you can now support the Smart Community Podcast via Patreon. That's patreon.com slash smartcompod with two M's. If you become a patron, you'll get a special episode each month exclusive to supporters. Thank you so much for your support so far. It is my dream for the podcast to be self-sustaining so it can continue to be produced for my smart community no matter what the circumstances. Enough from me, on with the episode. Hello Larissa, how are you? Hi Zoe, fantastic. How are you? I am also fantastic. It's great to speak with you and let's just jump straight in. And can you tell us about your background and what you are passionate about? Yes, sure. So my name is Larissa Rose. I'm an environmental consultant and have done my research and work around environment and sustainability. And a part of the space that I'm currently in at the moment, which is around renewable fuels and biofuels, is looking at the opportunities that currently exist here, what we have with biofuels being a part of an energy pathway and a part of the energy matrix. So my specialised background also for doing my master's degree was around uh, renewable fuels. I uh, pushed and curtailed held my master's degree with my professors and tutors to really hone down on doing stuff more around biofuels and renewable fuels and the pathways for advanced biofuels. So, yeah. Yeah, awesome. So, what sparked your interest? I'm going to use the word smart community because I see just from what we've discussed, um, you've done a lot of work in the regional and rural areas as well. So, keen to hear what sparked your interest in the smart community space. 
Absolutely. There's a lot of fantastic opportunity. And what I forgot just to mention before was obviously I'm the managing director for the Queensland Renewable Fuels Association. So my role currently now in industry is to lead and drive forward QRFA, which is the acronym for that, to drive forward opportunities on building um, a robust renewable fuel industry for the state and also helping that on a national level where needed. So where that sits and aligns, I guess, with smart cities and making cities really smartness of them is environment and environmentally minded solutions are really, really important to implement to help with carbon reductions. Now, we all know and understand that there's a lot of significant output of emissions that sit in built up cities, especially in regards to transportation. So... The interest, I guess, in the alignment that we see there is technology advancement with vehicle engines and also the lower emission fuels that can work alongside those new technologies of vehicles aligned to helping a city be able to start mapping out pathways to reduce the amount of emissions that are going into the city, the amount of emissions that are going out and you know, everyday people walking the streets, breathing, and also running alongside whatever programs that they've got. So biofuels are just one solution around what a city would have to reduce carbon within it. Yeah, excellent. So what is a smart city or a smart community to you? Perfect, perfect. Let's look at some core components on what I see myself as a smart city. I guess there's a fundamental methodology that would need to be applied for a city to be smart. And one of those is is that they would need to always consistently be applying innovation, looking at efficiencies and ensuring that sustainably is um, being managed. I think there's some of the key facets. And then they move across to some of those baseline elements, which are, you know, transportation, the infrastructure, and um, how that infects the environment and the built environment that that's within. So, and then the layer underneath all of that, I guess, is that triple bottom line approach, which is something that I speak about a lot in regards to the implementation of biofuels and renewable fuels to sit within uh, already, already quite embedded infrastructure, like we have with trucking and shipping and aviation, is that triple bottom line approach, which is looking at those aspects of environmental implementation, social and economic implementation, which all sit underneath obviously sustainably managing and ensuring that a city is being smart enough and is keeping on the forefront with innovation and effectively applying efficiencies. So that's sort of, I guess, a snapshot on how I see a smart city. Yeah. Okay, cool. And why do you think that this concept is so important? Wow. So it's very important. And I'll try and ensure that I, I talk about biofuels and the role of renewable fuels, but I'll keep to that main core thread, which is your theme for your audience and listeners is around the smart city concept. The future proofing is, is important in any elemental industry or sector that we're in. And to future proof and to ensure a city is being smart, it needs to look at specifically, well, what is it's the embedded carbon that's used in the city? What is it going to future be needing to rely and use and what those emissions are? And how do you future proof those which are currently going to be there, those emissions? So especially with a growing population. I guess there's always those challenges that sit around a growing population. Are we applying the right innovations? Are we thinking about sustainable solutions to ensure that this city is going to effectively be smart, I guess is the key word. So I guess your question was really around the smart city concept. For the side that I'll talk about how I would see a smart city concept is a city would need to start looking at understanding and managing the amount of vehicles on the road and how is that city going to look at putting 
processes and implementations and systems in place to reduce the amount of emissions that are being outputted, output, sorry. And the best way, I guess, if we're looking at a transportation for the relativity of my um, background is we would wanting to be applying in transport technology advancements, technology for vehicles, um, whether they're heavy and light rigid, there's great advancements that are going on in technologies for greater fuel efficiency. And we can, on top of that fuel efficiency for vehicle technology, coupled on top of that, we can implement low carbon fuels. So those low carbon fuels can help significantly capture, you know, greater amounts of reductions in CO2 output and specifically particulate matter, which is one of those really nasty, dangerous things. So that's how we would see a concept for a smart city. We'll be applying new integration of upgrading of buses, um, bus fleets, vehicles that are going into the city, and then applying the layer on top of that, which would be implementation of low carbon fuels. Can you give some examples of low carbon fuels just for our audience? Absolutely. So um, when we hear those keywords, first of all, which your audience will be very familiar with is biofuels. Biofuels are what we call just our first generation fuels. Those fuels are alternatives to petroleum-based fuels. So the first one that everyone will know of and very familiar with is E10. So E10 is a mixed blended fuel. The biofuel is called ethanol and ethanol is mixed with petroleum. So when you see E10 at the Bowser, that's 10% ethanol which has been produced from an agricultural uh, byproduct or a crop, a renewable product. And then that's called a feedstock. And then that 10% ethanol is mixed with a blend of 90% petroleum, so our normal petrol. And that has the opportunity then to reduce the amount of CO2 emissions and particulate matter because there's a 10% renewable or, you know, an alternative fuel product in a normal sort of standard fuel. The other biofuel that the audience may know of and heard of is biodiesel. So they're the two types of fuels that we produce in Australia. Biodiesel comes a lot from fats and seed oils and tallows, and those oils are then cleaned up and refined. It's gone transesterification, that process, and it produces an alternative for diesel. So they're the two different alternatives. So ethanol is the alternative for petroleum fuel and can go on petroleum. And biodiesel is the alternative that can be blended with normal petrol diesel. And then you can have a blended version of that, which can be called B5, which would be 5% biodiesel and 95% petrol diesel. So what those fuels do is they displace. So those current biofuels displace. Just moving across to lower carbon fuels and biofuels, when we move into advanced biofuels, when we talk about things like sustainable aviation fuel, renewable diesel, those fuels are Fuels that are made, second generation fuels, advanced biofuels, they are made from some similar feedstocks that the normal biofuels are made from, but they're made from agricultural waste residues and their input is, and then their output creates a lot lower carbon footprint. So their life cycle analysis is a lot better than what you have with an ethanol or a biodiesel fuel being produced. So when we use the word low carbon fuels, biofuels are lower carbon because they're less comparative to fossil fuels, obviously. But when we move across and talking about advanced biofuels or renewable fuels, those fuels have the ability to be even further less carbon compared to normal fossil fuels. So that's where we can start capturing even more carbon reductions, less emission of the really nasty particulate matters that come out when you burn fuel. 
Cool. Okay. Thanks for sharing that. I'm keen to hear how you think Australia is embracing this smart concept. Absolutely. So from what um, from my side, obviously, um, my perspective, we're starting to see a lot of transition. There's a, a bit of a global regulatory pressure point that's coming down on a trend on that. And that's in overarching in regards to the reductions of emissions and, and targets and countries uh, wanting to meet you know, Paris Agreement or whether they're wanting to you know, meet, you know, an MOU under two agreement, a lot of these sort of campaigns that are out there to give cities and states the opportunities to showcase where they're reducing it. So there's a lot of opportunity. We've seen a lot happen down in um, Victoria. Victoria has been pushing significantly, especially South Australia, on their cities and the local councils and local governments really applying different I guess they're future-proofing, whether that's in transport or whether that's for ensuring that their residents are collecting organic waste and it's getting treated better and it's not getting put into landfill, whatever that application is that they're doing, you're seeing that shift happening and occurring. In regards to transportation, which we'll be talked a little bit about that with the biofuels, is we're seeing that a lot of understanding with particulate matter, so air quality standards, are coming to the forefront. So Australia at the moment is doing some work federally on the fuel quality standards and those fuel quality standards talk about the air quality as well. So when we're burning petroleum fuels and they burn off significant carcinogenic particulate matters. So at the moment, the fuels are being monitored to make sure that they're even more greatly refined and cleaned up, which in turn will ensure that we have cleaner fuels that we're burning. And the best way that we can capture a lot of that is to start using lower carbon fuels fuels and biofuels being a part of the fuel blend mix and higher blend volumes being mixed in. So when we burn biofuels, they're a lot cleaner burning fuel, they burn more efficiently and effectively. So, you know, mapping back how we're seeing Australia embrace smart city concepts, that's definitely a way of applying a smart city concept because that sits back with the socioeconomic component of health that affects, you know, medical system, respiratory health and disorders and ailments that come from the breathing of particulate matters is significant. The amount of people that die in Australia from respiratory health is even greater than the amount of people that die in car accidents in Australia. So applying a concept of a smart city would be ensuring that you want the health of the people within the city to have greater longevity and reduce the amount of impact that governments and local uh, jurisdictions would need to be putting on and applying to, you know, social element, which is the health part. So that's a part of future-proofing your city as well as ensuring the longevity of your people that live in it. Mm, mm. Yeah, I agree. I think health really should be a key focus in a smart city, but maybe we don't think about that. We just think about the implementing certain things to make people's lives easier, but maybe we're not thinking enough about, okay, well, how can we make people's lives healthier through the air that they breathe and all those things that come with that? Sure. And just to, you know, on a kind of like a real reality position is that we don't think of that. Now, a classic example is in regards to the hair, the air is having cleaner tailpipe emissions is very significant. Now, some of those particular matters people agree because you don't see them. We just think our air is really clean in Australia. We've got great clean air. We don't see smog too much. We don't have cities that have got what do we call it, emission output sitting in the, in the main capital city till 11 o'clock in the morning and then it clears. So if we were in Los Angeles, you know, 15, 20 years ago before they put in the Californian Air Resources Board put in cleaner air quality standards and regulations, you would have actually felt 
probably unwell or could see that there was a problem because there was fog and smoke and exhaust residue left in the air and catch it under the air shed, under the pocket you were walking around in. And because we don't see that, we think that our air is all well and good and clean. And yes, we do have great clean air here in Australia, but in built up capital cities, when you're going for a fast morning pace walk through the city streets, you are actually breathing in probably some of the worst air that you could probably do. It's probably much healthier for you not to have gone through a walk through the city because you were breathing in quite significant particulate matters, which are quite detrimental, maybe not to you right now, but for the future sustainable health of you later on, they will be affecting that. So because we don't see the fog and we don't see pollution, we actually don't think that. So in relative to a situation which I got a change happening on a city level was um, with my son's school, they would have the diesel bus, you know, school buses sitting there running while the kids were lining up waiting to catch the bus in the afternoon. Now, these buses would be running anywhere up to 20 minutes before the kids would get knocked off. So there's sheds that sit underneath, they could sit underneath while they're waiting at the bus shelter. So you can imagine five buses running in a bus zone pumping out diesel particulates, which diesel is the worst out of all of the fuels, this air is just blowing around kids sitting patiently in line for bus 601 and bus 605 to fill up and then the next bus moves. That is an issue because we don't see pollution and we don't see it. People think it's okay, but in my opinion, it's better for the bus to be turned off and the aircon not on and the windows open in the bus. And then when the bus starts, the aircon get put back on. Then the kids sitting there breathing horrific carcinogenetics, which may not affect them right now in the present moment, but they're breathing them in and they're going down in the cellular level. So on a smart city concept, that's something that could be considered and obviously lower carbon fuels, if they were being used in those buses, we wouldn't be having the issue about worrying about particulate matters being breathed. So so that's just something that I do talk about a lot is because we don't see pollution all the time. We think our air is okay and, you know, running along a, a highway with buses and cars coming and going and stopping at traffic lights, you're breathing in quite significantly dangerous chemicals. So something for all the audience to think about sometimes. Mm, yeah, interesting. So we talk about transport and the word at the moment is, you know, the future of transport is electric. I'm keen to hear your thoughts about how do low carbon fuels and electric vehicles and maybe hydrogen powered vehicles, how do they all fit together? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's great, Zoe, because that's really a question everyone wants to understand. And do electric vehicles, are they going to displace a lot of normal everyday vehicles that run fuels. So what we see, and, and speaking for myself and obviously as a managing director for Queensland Renewable Fuels Association, is the role of all of those different technologies sit within the whole energy matrix. And realistically in Australia, we need all of those different types of pathways, whether that's electrification, the hydrogen, we've got mixed blended, we've got hybrid vehicles, they can take biofuels and then they can run on electric. So they all play their own part. And they will all play their own part based on a geographical location. So that's the next space because some of those pathways of alternatives from a combustion engine need infrastructure in place. Plus, they also need to be able to access the fuel source. They're all going to play their part. And that's how that's going to go. So what we see is the role of biofuels. Biofuels is obviously it sits in the infrastructure of moving as we move petroleum fuel around. It's the same role. 
it will be moved around and that infrastructure is already in place. So the availability of biofuels can be further expanding because there's already a petroleum infrastructure in place. Electrification obviously is a brand new infrastructure. We obviously have the electricity situated all around our cities and the availability of the plug-in component is the new part of the infrastructure. So in built-up cities, we see great opportunity for that. Maybe in regional parts around Australia and, and around our states and territories, we might start seeing difficulty. It'll be a lot slower uptake because obviously councils and those jurisdictions will need to put in place the opportunities for people with their hybrid vehicles or full electric vehicles to be able to be plugged in. We have a very big, expensive country. Uh, we move a lot of freight and a lot of produce and a lot of products around our country. A lot of that is very heavily dependent on rail and for the big trucks to move you know, produce across the states. So we see biofuels being able to be a little bit more expansive than electrification. Hydrogen has another great role. A lot of that sits. We're not going to see full electric B-double trucks running across the Nullarbor because they're not going to be able to charge. So that's where the energy matrix has the availability that biofuels and the use of biofuels is a part of that journey because so much of transportation can, is limited to the geographical location, especially in the sense of electrification. And then from there, the other part of the energy matrix, which would be the low carbon fuels and biofuels to be used, could help carry over us reaching lower carbon emissions by transporting, you know, produce across through to Darwin or it's got to get across to Alice Springs. So that's where we sort of see the role. They all play their own significant role for sure. Yeah, excellent. Thanks for sharing that. And let's get on to some of the um, other projects and things that you're currently working on. Absolutely. What would you like to know about where, what we're doing with QRFA is going and what we've been working on? Yeah, yeah. I'd love to hear about all those things. I think just from what we've, you know, the previous information that we've kind of shared is participating in San Francisco at the Global Climate Action Summit. I'd be keen to hear more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So QRFA, as I mentioned before, with the State-Based Industry Association, but we found it very important and fundamental for us to keep progressive as an association, but to help ensure that we keep our industry progressive, that we do quite a lot of global engagement and lean on the leaders who already done quite a vast amount of work. And the United States and California, if your audience don't know, are leading the way globally in regards to the implementation of uh, lower carbon policies and a lot of that around lower carbon fuels. And they have a pricing um, and like a carbon tax on that, which drives that market. So we've been invited, QRFA, to be involved in a lot of different opportunities over the last few years on a global platform. Uh, last year, we were at the United Nations COP23 Summit, where we talked about the opportunities and what's going on currently in Australia and where we see the opportunities for our very sort of new and infant industry to grow and expand to being one of you know, more of a leading country as well. So yeah, probably about six weeks ago or so, I was personally in San Francisco and asked to speak and moderate as well on a panel. And that panel was with some of our partners that we've aligned with. And it was about how low carbon fuels transform local economies and the role that they have. And I guess one of the key words that came about that was how do you implement lower carbon fuels with the demand side. So it's all well and good that we can produce these fuels and there's a supply, 
but the uptake of those fuels. So whether that's looking at, well, who are those fleet operators? How do we start educating and transforming fleets that move a lot of logistics and freight around this country? What would it mean to start getting lower carbon fuels implemented in that? So we were talking about that in a global sense over there. A lot of the main points that came up in that San Francisco panel session was a lot around policies that drive it. And it comes from a very huge situation of policy-based approach. So we were talking about how does that trigger and drive local economies and cities to be smarter if there was a price on carbon. We don't have one here in Australia, but in the United States, they do. So that has made a huge opportunity for the production and the uptake and use of lower carbon fuels to be quite available and to be incentivized for using them as well. So it's really interesting to see the modeling and the blueprint that's been established in California. And we talked about with some of the leading biofuel producers who were on my panel how they see what that would mean a little bit in relative to an Australian or a Queensland context. A lot of the thoughts are that to get the uptake of those fuels into a city and applied, we would need to start looking at what are some of those policy-based mechanisms that would trigger that. So that's been fantastic, that workshop. Also, QRFA works significantly in Queensland and Australia, and we have a bit of a mantra, and we call that the paddock to parliament approach for our association. So what that means is we and myself can be anywhere from on the field talking to sugarcane growers and sorghum growers and looking at different crop residues that can be used to make the biofuels all the way through to the paddock side, paddock side to the parliament side, which is working on policies and mechanisms and frameworks and in between in the middle there is pulling on all our different stakeholders and the supply chain to look at opportunities where we can create projects. So we've been currently working on a couple of projects with some key players in Queensland where we can maximise opportunities. And one of those, which is relative to smart cities quite a lot, is looking at bus fleets and new technologies with engine vehicles for passengers, but also for the bus fleets for local councils. How do we start implementing new engines that can and bus fleets that can use a mixture of lower carbon fuels they're electrified but also some of those opportunities are looking at well maybe those bus fleets can use some of the higher blend fuels so maybe we could use like 95 percent ethanol or we could use 100 percent biodiesel which would be huge significant reductions so getting those sort of showcase projects on the line have been the projects that we've been working on at the moment which give a good example to government, to everyday consumers, to the larger companies who own fleets and showcasing how those fuels can be used. And then from there, I guess it's, you know, looking at who's going to be the leader now, who's going to jump on the forefront of wanting to be the first one to put their hand up to say, yes, we're this company, we're committing to using 10% ethanol in all of our passenger fleets, vehicles now for our company. And wherever we use diesel, we are looking at wanting to make a target to use a 5% diesel blend. And we want to use trucks that use 100% biodiesel where possible. So that's the work that we're doing because that's where we see an industry association, we can really support some outcomes, which then in turn, we call them offtake agreements. Those offtake agreements help create certainty for supply and production of biofuels. So getting biorefineries up and going in Queensland. So it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation there, but we, we work from that paddock to parliament approach. 
Mm, excellent. I think that this next question quite you know, fits quite well into that, which is about integrating across the different disciplines. So how do you think we can better integrate across the different disciplines, government, industry and industries and all the players across the board? Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of our other keywords is, you know, building a, a robust and strong supply chain. And that term from paddock to parliament has been a big one. So, and, and then on top of that, also leaning on our global counterparts. So, a really good example that I could give you on what QRFA have done. We, on a domestic level, understood that we needed to lean on some really progressive, I guess, campaigns or action, a call to action plans that had been shouted on a global level. And they could really assist us here on a domestic level to implement what you're saying on on that integration on those different disciplines, you know, from government, all parts of the supply chain, government, industries, connecting all of that. So we did a memorandum of understanding with a campaign called Below 50. So Below 50 is a global campaign that comes out of the World Business Council for Sustainable Development. And that campaign was looking at how do we really drive forward to shift change on the demand side, which is that offtake side, on integrating the uptake and use of lower carbon fuels. So those fuels for that campaign, hence the word 50 below 50, is fuels that are 50% less carbon or CO2 emissions comparative to fossil fuels. So using fuels that are significantly going to be the game changers on, say, a company being able to reach its you know, CO2 reduction comparative to its 2005 business as usual. So that campaign is out of the world Business Council, as I mentioned, and it has regional hubs. So the fundamental understanding for it is, is that below 50 is to work at a regional level, whether that is in Brazil or North America, and QRFA took over and partnered and became below 50 Australia. And we're working on that campaign to support that uptake of those fuels. So by doing that, um, we signed that about a year and a half ago. We became the partner for Below 50. So we have an accountability and a role to present on a global level, to provide some of our industry and members to be able to integrate globally. So we became a pathway for a domestic level to integrate up to a global level. We saw that as fundamental to integrate that, Zoe, because An example of it now is we've had some fantastic news most recently a couple of months ago in Philadelphia where the Queensland government signed off on becoming a partner with Below 50. So they've become the first government and jurisdiction in the world to sign up to the Below 50 commitment, which is fantastic. So what that means is um, we had Minister Cameron Dick sign off on that Department of State Development, Mining and Infrastructure and Planning here in Queensland. And that commitment is for the government to really support and endorse the uptake of those lower carbon fuels. And for us, what that is, is working on the supply chain. How do we integrate an example of that? So that would be looking at building on offtake agreements, pushing and pursuing on procurement. So procurement is a big opportunity where we can um, capture that. So that's just maybe one example that I could show you how we've seen the ability to integrate on a global level down to a domestic level and look at where we can get outcomes. Yeah, cool. No, that's a great example. And I think a practical example is really good to kind of see that approach. You can use a similar approach for something completely different. So I think thanks for sharing the real example. That's awesome. Perfect. Now, I'm really keen to hear about this. And obviously, I think we'll stick along the same kind of lines that we've been talking about. But what do you think the emerging trends are that people aren't talking about enough? 
Yes, this is is a good one. And maybe if um, it should be a trend, and maybe we might kickstart it today as the trend, but I could say a, a concern that should be fast on the tip of everyone's lips now. And for us in our industry, it's around our country, Australia, being able to capture um, greater fuel security. So currently at the moment, um, Australia is sourcing about over 90% now of its fuel we're importing. So that's due to our, our geographical location as well, but also the biggest reason why that is about is we don't refine oil here in, in the country um, to what we used to anymore. The refineries have started to close down and shut off. And we now purchase um, over 90% of our fuel from our overseas market. And a lot of that comes through from Singapore. And from there, it's sourced um, in different areas, whether that's through a lot of the oil comes down through Russia, the Arabian countries and the continents there, and also through Korea. So I guess when you tell an everyday fuel consumer, passenger vehicle user that they may only have three days of fuel if we were ever to get cut off of fuel in this country, that's a little bit of a reality in your face. So if the way the ship, the fuel shipped into this country, we call them the shipping lane, those shipping lanes, if there was for any reason that fuel was cut off, and there's some really fantastic reports, which I'm sure we can link with this to let your audience know a little bit more about it, is that we have a lack of fuel also stored in this country. So if we were ever to have those taps turned off, we would actually have a significant fuel um, shortage in this country. Um, obviously, military and our Navy and our Defence Forces obviously have their own fuel sources there, which is there for that security of defence security. Milk and bread being shipped to our local supermarkets and to the convenience store down the road. And the reality of that is, is that the fuel that you've got left in your fuel tank right now would be pretty much all that you're going to have. So that's very alarming and this very concerned element. And a lot of people don't understand that. A lot of countries around the world have very significant fuel security policies put into place to mandate and ensure that certain large volumes of fuel kept in that country. Um, Australia really needs to understand that we need to be doing that on a greater level. Uh, we are a very vulnerable country. Uh, we're very exposed um, when fuel only comes in certain pathways. I think every single person in this country understands that we rely on petroleum in all different ways in so many different elements. So that's probably an emerging trend that I think I would like everyone to understand. And how do we create greater fuel security? One of those pathways is to domestically produce our own fuels. And that's not fossil fuels. We would like to see that. We have a large capacity due to the amount of agriculture that we have in this country, the different byproducts, the agricultural waste, we call them feedstocks. So the byproducts that come from producing and growing sorghum, there's agricultural waste streams. We have an ability in Australia to produce quite a lot of clean, renewable fuel, and that would significantly displace the amount of petroleum that we would need to import. The United States, Brazil, Thailand, India all have very progressive biofuel mandates to ensure, and, and some of those countries, and it sounds terrible, don't necessarily do it, Zoe, for um, an environmental benefit. They do that for a fuel security benefit. So they understand that they are, especially like in countries like India, the Indian Administration for Petroleum, the president there understood that our country is very vulnerable. This is not right. We need to start implementing greater fuel security. They put in progressive targets to make sure that every petroleum and government petroleum owned company that refined and brought in fuel built ethanol plants to displace the amount of petroleum fuel that was being imported in. 
So sometimes some countries implement biofuel mandates for environmental benefits. A lot of them sit in that socioeconomic part. But we need to look at that model as well as understanding the health benefits that come from using biofuels. Mm, And I think that fits into the smart space, using technology to kind of help us improve, you know, the way that we do things. I also think what fits in is we use a lot of fuel right now. And I think it's all all well and good to maybe swap our fuel over to something that's cleaner and greener. Like that's definitely part of the solution. But then actually, how do we use smart technology to maybe decrease the amount of fuel that we rely upon? Obviously, like from a, you know, you can do that simply from a personal perspective, but how do we then take that approach up the line so then we're only using what we need? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the progressiveness of vehicle technology is huge. So currently at the moment, we're at Euro 5 spec vehicles here in Australia. Um, As we know, engines just become more advanced, better fuel economy, which in turn is less dollars that the consumer is putting into their engine tank compared to what they probably did 10 years ago. So that's also not just for everyday passenger car fleets. That's happening in trucks. That's happening in buses. There's a lot of leading companies. One of the Scania is doing some progressive work around the world on their accountability as a company to ensuring that they're providing vehicles and engines that have the ability to be able to use, you know, hybrid level hydrogen, can they be ethanol hydrogen vehicles, fuel cell vehicles. So the shift and change, I guess, coming into Australia, we're seeing more and more now is Euro 6 spec vehicles that are coming into our market. And we import, obviously, we don't make our engines here anymore. We don't make our vehicles here. Is these Euro 6 spec vehicles that are coming in have greater their greater vehicle engine technologies that can apply better fuel economy. And that coupled on top of using biofuel blends, using full replacement fuels, um, renewable fuels, is going to be the game changer on how Australia can definitely catch a greater CO2 reductions and reach some of its targets that it definitely needs to reach. Very accountable here in Australia to reaching some of those international targets that are being met. We've got a lot of work to do here in Australia on that level is we can do a lot of that in transportation. And obviously, transportation is one of the biggest components to particulate matter and CO2 in this world. And decarbonising a transport sector is on the forefront of everyone's lips. And it's been a discussion that's happened in Europe for a long time. So when I spend time overseas and come back here, it can be a little frustrating sometimes when we've got very small little targets when other countries, um, especially a country like Norway, have banned shipping ships to come in, shipping vessels to come into their ports because the fuels that they use are too high in sulfur. So can you imagine a a port in Norway saying, you will not bring that ship in. That ship has to stay out now in open waters. And unless you are using renewable fuel blends, so fuels that have less sulfur in that, because bunker oil, which is the fuel that's used for shipping, is um, horrifically full of sulfur. It's the dirtiest fuel that you could use. So progressive action on that is where you'll see the change. And that's because we're producing fuels that have lower sulfur now, but also low carbon fuels can help blend that out. But also on top of that, we're talking about road transport, vehicle technology is changing. So on top of getting better fuel economy, we can layer lower carbon fuels on top of that and we can get a double benefit. Mm. Well, thanks so much for coming onto the podcast, Larissa. I've really found your thoughts and insights really fascinating and I've enjoyed having this conversation. So thanks for coming on. No, you're most welcome. Anytime. Excellent. How can people connect with you? 
Oh, absolutely. We've got the usual setup that everyone pretty much has now. Our website is just look up Queensland Renewable Fuels Association or qrfa.com.au. We're also on Twitter. We have a LinkedIn, which is QLD underscore RFA. We are on LinkedIn. You can just write Queensland Renewable Fuels Association. And we also have a Facebook page as well. So any information you want to do and know, it's on there. Our events, we have a lot of regional Queensland events. So they're free community events. So jump on board if you really want to know a lot about biofuels and the opportunities that sit there and the ability for us to really support regional communities and uh, regional economies, I guess, to become greater smart cities. So thank you so much, Zoe. Excellent. We'll put all the links in the show notes so people can find you and click away. Brilliant. Great. Thanks so much. Thanks again. Talk soon. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Smart Community Podcast. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes are available on our website, mysmart.community. If you have any questions for us or any of our guests, you can email hello at mysmart.community or find us on the socials. We are on LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter at smartcompod. That's com with two M's. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review at wherever you listen. This really helps us reach more ears, so thank you in advance. As always, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for.